We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Thank you for joining us for part two of our conversation with James Craig from Maternal Child Health at Oklahoma State Department of Health. We continue our conversation on the topic of maternal mental health for Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week. And in this episode, you will hear about the Oklahoma statute related to perinatal mental health and the responsibilities tied to that statute, as well as the work James has done to provide awareness and reduce the stigma tied to maternal mental health. We also discuss ways you can get involved and participate to help support our community and state. Thanks again for joining James and I as we continue the conversation. When we talk about the responsibility of the community in maternal mental health, the PMADs that we've discussed, I it seems like there was something legislatively that was passed in the state of Oklahoma. Can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, because that's the highest of high as far as responsibility goes. They've obviously recognized that there is something in the state that needs to be addressed. Let's work our way down from the legislative process to whose responsibility is it? And, and how they kind of disseminated some of that responsibility among our community. So I think the bill that you're probably referencing is uh, Senate Bill 419. And this was passed back in 2019. So three years ago, four years ago almost now, we saw this bill passed. And what it really tried to do, and, and I want to give credit to Emily Clark, uh, who helped us bill get through the finish line. Uh, she's a strong advocate, uh, leader of... Um, the awareness event that we are doing this year and we did last year. And she worked with, at the time, what was State Senator uh, Stephanie Bice and Representative Nicole Miller to get this bill passed. And so um, I definitely want to give credit to folks uh, who were not me to get this over the finish line. And the bill did some really cool things. So one of the things this bill asked um, the hospitals to do, and when I say hospitals, primarily we're talking about birthing hospitals because this is something that Obviously, when we're in the perinatal period, we're talking about uh, women having uh, babies. So uh, birthing people in that period of time, we, we want hospitals to do education on perinatal mental health. Number one, that's in the bill as a uh, element of the bill that each hospital needs to do education on this for women coming in to give birth in their hospitals. And then number two, when it comes to the um, OB level, so the hospitals themselves do not necessarily, are not required to do screenings for postpartum depression. I think there's probably a little confusion about that because I think there's an assumption maybe they are. A lot of hospitals do, and I, in fact, encourage them to do that, but it's, that's not part of the bill. That, that actually, first piece of that falls on uh, the OBGYN. So down the next level would be the OBGYN at the postpartum visit. They are required to do uh, both some education and screening for postpartum uh, postpartum depression. Now, you've heard me talk earlier about um, the, the umbrella term of PMADS and, and that there are more than just depression as a piece of this, and that's true. But in terms of screening tools, um, that is kind of the most universal 
screening that is done. And the tool uses often, there's kind of one, one or two that you see most often. So the, the PHQ-9, which is a patient health questionnaire nine, it's called that because there's nine questions on it, is the one that we use internally at the health department in our county health uh, clinics. And then probably next um, common or, or just as common, if not more probably, is the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale. So that is something that you see used uh, in a lot of different settings, whether that's the uh, OB-GYN clinic or, uh, and again, like I said earlier, the county health departments utilize that in the family planning clinic. Uh, WIC oftentimes will utilize uh, screenings, uh, although again, internally at the health department, we all use uh, PHQ-9. And those are both very well recognized and validated as screenings for that. Now, to be clear, those are screenings. It, does not mean if you are screened and you're at a high risk or at moderate risk or low risk, you have postpartum depression. That means that you need to get a referral for a provider to then, you know, look through and see, does that diagnosis fit or not? But it gives you a good indication of who needs to be referred. So that's the next piece of the, of the legislation is the OBGYN. So then further down the rung is that the, uh, the pediatrician then would, would be kind of the last line of defense for folks who uh, maybe they've been screened before, maybe they haven't. But when we have, you know, and you think maybe your first thought is, well, pediatrician, that's the baby. Um, what does that have to do with mom? Well, when the mom is not well, right? When mom needs help, um, guarantee you the baby needs help, right? We need mom to be at her best. We need dad to be at his best. Um, and so pediatricians are a great resource to help us look at, you know, have those folks been screened and, the other thing to think about this is that a lot of times it doesn't happen right away. You know, we sometimes imagine this as being something that is, you know, it's, like, it's a lightning bolt that strikes right after the baby's born. And it's not often the case. Sometimes it could be six months. Sometimes it could be, um, gosh, nine months or even later sometimes before this is something that really hits uh, parents. And so pediatricians are a great resource then because they're, um, always going to look at, well, what is the AAP? And we love acronyms at the health department, so let me clarify what that is. The AAP is the American Academy of Pediatrics. So what do they say to do for pediatricians? Um, and right now, basically, they recommend that uh, pediatricians do four screenings. And that's going to be the first time they see that baby. Um, and the, the next time would be at the four-month mark, excuse me, two months, four months and six months. So every few months, we wanna do the screening and see are things better, are they worse? Um, and it's a really good time to look at how is mom interacting with the child? I mean, that's, that's one of those things that, you know, we're not parents in a, in a vacuum. We need to be seen in our environment, interacting with our children. And uh, OBGYN is not gonna be able to do that, at least not more than once anyway. Uh, in the United States, we often only see uh, postpartum appointment, we get one time, uh, six months out, excuse me, six months, six weeks out. And that's most often it for folks who've just had a baby. And so um, really looking at what are the opportunities for screening, pediatricians are almost the best bet uh, for when do we see that as an opportunity to do it. So in public health, you know, the, the cliche, and it's cliche because it's true, we always say that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that is very, very true. 
and when it comes to uh, mental health and perinatal mental health in this case. So what does that mean? Well, it's been more and more common, I think, in the last three, five years, especially more recently, for women to go into, and this is a good thing, by the way, I'm, I'm applauding this, for women to go into birth thinking about their birth plan. What would they like their birth to look like? Do they want to have a natural birth as much as they can? Do they want to have a cesarean birth? Do they want to have uh, family support them through that process? Do they want to have nobody there around when the birth actually happens? Uh, do they want a doula? Do they not want to do it? You know, is it uh, something that you want to look at having a midwife help you with that process? So lots and lots of different choices could be made about the, the pregnancy and, and preparation for the baby. And I, I applaud that. I think it's a great thing that we're thinking more about how we want to have a baby, uh, even though, you know, life doesn't always follow those birth plans, you know, pretty often. Uh, and, I, and I mentioned this because there's all kinds of different responses out, out there, all of them valid. When I have talked to folks about what did you want your birth to be, some folks I've talked to will say, I really didn't care. I wanted a healthy baby and how I got there did not matter to me. And that's very valid. Um, other people I, I talk to say, well, you know, I, I just, I preferred to have a baby as naturally as I could, you know, no epidural, no, uh, no drugs at all. I just want a completely natural, which by the way, this is my own two cents. I, I rarely will inject this, but I'm going to say it here for all the parents that might hear my voice. Let me underline this comment. There's not a medal. You don't get a medal for, for being the mom who didn't have any drugs. It is a very valid preference. If that's what you want to do, it's perfectly fine, but there's not a medal. Don't push yourself to do more than your body can handle. I'm going to say that because I, I think people need to hear it. You're right. <laughs> at the end of the day, you want a healthy parent, you want a healthy baby. Um, and if that means you need some medical intervention to get you there, I think that's okay. And we need not to beat ourselves up uh, because that birth didn't go the way we wanted it to go. Uh, and at the same time, I don't want to dismiss what can be a real trauma and a real difficulty for folks who did not get the birth they wanted. Um, I don't say that dismissively. I know that there are folks who really have a vision in their mind of what they want the birth to be. And I don't dismiss that. It can be really, really hard. Uh, and it can be a real trauma to not have uh, a birth go the way that you want it to, or literally have a traumatic birth physically or emotionally. Uh, there are some births that uh, really take a toll uh, and you can have close calls with the health of the mom in jeopardy. That is all very much important and something that we need to factor in when we're talking about mental health. So I'm not diminishing those things at all. Uh, but I just want people to know that, you know, if, if you didn't get the birth, the exact one that you wanted, that does not mean that you're less of a parent at all. Uh, and, and that's really my only reason to comment about that. So having said all that about the birth plan, a lot of people have birth plans now, and I think that's great. But really, very few people I've talked to have a postpartum plan. And postpartum plan is pretty much what it sounds like. Um, it's the opposite of a birth plan in, in the sense that it's not about what happens before the baby's born. It's about what happens after the baby's born. So that's the very moment the kid's born, we're in the postpartum period. So what do we want that to look like? Do we want uh, dad there? Do we want... Uh, it's, if it's um, uh, LGBTQ couples, we want the other mom there. Do we want grandma in the room? Uh, do we want no one 
in the room. Like these are these are things that maybe folks think about before, but often they don't. Um, what's what supports? You know, when we think through, what is the best way to prevent um, any of these concerns becoming postpartum depression or anxiety? And to be clear, I'm not saying if you have a postpartum plan, you're not at risk for those. Uh, those concerns, you, you still may very well face those risks. But what I'm talking about now is risk reduction. So making the risk as low as you can make it means being as prepared as you could be. So what does that mean? That means, well, let's have conversations about who's going to pick up the kids from school that we already have when I'm at home recovering from this birth. Um, of course, having a cesarean is a longer recovery than uh, a vaginal birth. And so in those cases, um, what, what support am I going to get from my partner? Um, does he or she think that support looks different than what I do? You know, often we make assumptions. And I think as a, as a clinician, I say this with my clients very often. Expectation can create so many problems when it's not the same, right? When, when I have expectations that aren't met, but I haven't told you what those expectations are, that's when we get into trouble. You know, I really thought that he was going to help me at night with this baby, and he's not helping at all. And on the other flip side of that, your partner may be thinking, I didn't think I was going to have to deal with this at night. Why is she expecting me to get up with this baby? Um, now, as, as a dad of four children, again, this is probably the, one of the only other times I'll inject my personal thoughts in this. All dads who are not working 12 hour shifts plus a minimum should be helping at night, right? I'm just gonna say it. All dads should be helping. I'm, I'm just gonna say it. It's, you should not have the expectation that you can just sit back and let the mom take care of all this stuff. It's ridiculous. Uh, you know, unless, unless you guys have agreed in advance that that's what your family's gonna do and you're both on board, and you're both on board, let me say it that way, you should be helping, right? We've got two partners, we should use two partners. Um, now again, if both of you agree that one of the other partners is gonna take you take these nights, I'll take those nights. That's that's totally fine. You know, come to whatever agreement you come to. But um, as long as you're able, I think both people really should help when they can. So off that tangent, who who can help us with meals? Um, who can help us with childcare? Can somebody take this child for, for 30 minutes so I can take a shower, brush my teeth, and feel like a human again? You know, um, do I have friends who can call me? Uh, can I set up a system where I ask um, five of my friends to call me, you know, once a week or twice a week or three times a week? Can I have people come to my house and hold the baby so I can take a nap? You know, lots of different options uh, that folks may have thought of, may not have thought of. So I said all this. One of the things I'm really glad that we did is internally at the health department uh, and through the work group, I wanna give credit to the folks in the work group that helped develop this. We have a template for a postpartum plan on our website. So if you go to uh, the Oklahoma State Department of Health website and uh, specifically that's ok.gov health and just look up um, maternal mental health the actual URL is pretty long, so I'm not going to list it there for you guys to type out. But just do a search for maternal health, and you'll find it. Here's the, the, the brochure on what maternal mental health looks like. That's available there. 
And our postpartum plan is available there to download. So you can get this on your phone, your tablet, your PC, whatever it is, uh, your Mac. Um, another resource, and I, I don't do this very often unless I'm really proud of it, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to recommend a private app um, that is really cool that I'm really a fan of, and it's called Mothership Rising. So this is on iOS and Android. What's really cool about this app is it goes through your contact list, and you can check off on checkboxes um, the amount of people that are in your support circle. And that could be friends, it could be family. And on a calendar, say, um, this person on this day, you just hit, hit the calendar date, is going to help me um, bring me a meal. Um, this person on this day is going to call me just to, to ask how I'm doing, right? Um, this person on this day is going to pick up medication I need. So it's really cool because it integrates with your calendar and your contacts to build a system of support so that it's a lot more um, integrated in our smartphone worlds. We're all on our smartphones now. And as of today, it's it's free. So they don't charge for it. It's really cool. Um, I would recommend it if I didn't already go through it and really think it's a, a great tool to use. I love that. That is a great resource. And all of these resources I will include. So they will all be available whenever I do our write-up and I'll make sure that everyone has these resources. So um, that's fantastic. I know you and I talk a lot about community engagement. How do we bring awareness? How do we have these conversations and, and let our community know that this is a real a real concern for a lot of our families. I mean, it touches every family who's ever had a child in some way or another, um, as far as those baby blues and really processing that. And I know that you and I are actually working with Emily Clark on a PSI uh, walk. So I know that's happening in June. Um, but what are some of the other things that, that, that you have done to try to bring awareness to our community? I know that you have done some walks through the State Department of Health. And uh, so tell us a little bit more about some of those things. Yeah, so I'll say two things about that. One is, on a personal level, the, the biggest thing we could do is reduce stigma. You know, uh, 2022, I think, mental health in general, there's unfortunately still a stigma on any mental health concern. Um, and then postpartum depression, especially postpartum anxiety, all these perinatal mental health uh, concerns are further stigmatized because I think a lot of, of parents, uh, moms and dads, again, are afraid to admit that we, we're flawed. We're flawed humans and we need help. Um, guess what? Everybody has flaws. Everybody has things that they're working through. Um, and I will tell you that one of the things that does the best um, one of the things that is the best thing that you can do as an individual is share your story. You know, if, if you have an experience with postpartum depression, um, postpartum anxiety, um, postpartum OCD, uh, PTSD, you know, that is a huge thing with birth, birth trauma is postpartum uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Those are really tough to talk about in a lot of cases because, again, the stigma attached to them. But I will tell you that the reason the stigma is there is because we don't talk about it. Um, we really want to make sure that people feel okay talking about this because I think, unfortunately, and, and again, 2022, it's sad to say this, but it's true. There is a sense that, well, 
that's those people over there. That's not me. That's not my sister. That's not my mom. That's not my grandmother. Uh, that's not my neighbor. Guess what? It is. It is your sister. It's your mom. It's it's you. It's it's everyone. I guarantee you, everyone in listening to me talk right now knows someone in your life that has had uh, an experience with one of these uh, mood disorders, and it's just that they don't maybe feel safe to talk about. So we want to make the space safe on a community level, uh, on a family level, and of course on the state level. That's the thing that I really want to be able to do is make sure that folks feel safe to talk about this. One of the things that I am really um, passionate about is making sure that uh, as a social worker, you know, we're trained and, and we believe intrinsically that we need to see people who represent us in the work that we do and uh, in the resources that are available. So, you know, what does that mean? That means that if I'm an African-American woman, it can be a lot easier to go to an OBGYN who's also an African-American woman because uh, I know that she's going to understand my experiences. Uh, if I'm a Native man uh, and I have a, a, provi a provider, a, a mental health provider in my community who's from my community, I'm going to feel more comfortable being able to share my experiences because I know that uh, he shared them or, or at least may understand them. So I mentioned this because one of the things I really would like to do is be able to put messages out there uh, from a variety of experiences from a variety of backgrounds, cultures, um, genders, um, and, and say, you know, this is all of us as Oklahomans. Uh, this is not them, this is we, this is us. So gosh, it's probably been three years or more now that I went to one of the people that used to be in our group and she's gotten too busy really is, is why that she's not been on this as much recently, but um, is a therapist uh, by the name of, of Ty Antron. She's done some great work um, in Oklahoma and, and actually she would be okay with me saying this because again, she's, she's spread the word on this issue herself. She is a clinician who herself experienced postpartum anxiety and depression and then came through on the other side and said, you know what, I'm gonna make this my mission as a, as a clinician to work with this population. And so at one point she and I were talking and she said, you know, I, I think I've got some folks who you could talk to that might be comfortable sharing their story that we could record and get out into the world. Um, turns out she was one of those people. So I, I did an interview with her. Um, that we recorded and we talked through her experience and that's available also on our website. It's also on our YouTube channel. I'm really proud of how it turned out. Um, one of her um, other references that she gave to me was a woman by the name of Diana Hicks. Uh, Diana shared her story and we recorded that as well. And so we have a couple of these stories of people who shared, you know, talking through what is it like to feel uh, so uh, alone, to feel so isolated that suicide is a real thought on your mind as a, as a new mom. Uh, and that's something that they've, they've talked about on these videos. Uh, what is it like to have intrusive thoughts? Uh, Diana does a great job of talking through what that felt like for her. And, um, you know, they're really great advocates because, again, they've gone through these experiences and they have gotten the treatment and gotten to the point where now they're working to uh, be advocates 
for the folks in these positions. Now, we have two of those videos. I would like to have more. I'd really like to have someone from the African-American community uh, because what we know is unfortunately they experience a disparity in the amount of times um, that there's uh, a population out there and they have higher rates uh, of these mental health concerns, not because anything intrinsically about that population, but because often the available um, resources are not there. And there's a sense of uh, disparity in what it, when they are seen in medical settings are not often treated the same as folks from other communities. And so they don't get the treatment they need oftentimes. Um, that is unfortunately true of the native community here in Oklahoma. You know, those, those are the two populations we see the greatest disparity. Uh, and we don't yet have um, stories from those communities. So I really want to, to make sure that we have those voices represented. Um, just haven't found folks yet that are at a point where they're comfortable sharing their stories. But I'm, I'm on the lookout anytime um, we have someone from those communities who feels comfortable. I'm really hoping that we can uh, get their voices heard. Um, probably the, you know, what might be the white whale for a little while is going to try to get a, a man to share his story. I say that because, you know, men historically, uh, and it's, it's a, it's a uh, stereotype because it's true, often don't talk as much about uh, how they feel about anything related to medical concerns, uh, but especially mental health. So I definitely want to get at at some point uh, a man to sh to share you know hey I'm a father and this is what my experience was like, um, but you know that's as many of these stories as we can put out into the world I think the better because we want to spread the word that this is not them it's us. We always need to have more stories that people are willing to share, um, and if anybody's listening to the podcast and would like to to offer their story, how would they contact you? So I would love for that to happen. I will tell you that uh, the best way to get a hold of me is email. Getting me on the phone sometimes can be tricky, uh, but I'll give you my phone number too. So my email is James, the C C, the letter C twice, at health.ok.gov. And if you'd like to call me, you can at 405-426-8089. Just real quick, I'll kind of explain, for anyone who is interested, I'll explain my process around how we um, produce those videos because I think it might make people feel a little more comfortable. So in each case, um, I have a name of someone who I reached out to and said, I would really like to hear your story. Where is a comfortable place for you to meet? And I always make sure that it is somewhere that they are comfortable. Um, I'm not asking folks to come to my office. Um, I want them to feel comfortable. So in some cases, um, we went to a park uh, to talk. In some cases, we went to a coffee shop. In some cases, I've gone to folks' homes. Whatever they are comfortable with is what I want to do. And then I usually spend a couple hours, honestly, um, just listening. And I, and I say the words, tell me your story. And I do have some questions where I sort of want to know, you know, what was this like for you? Um, what helped? What didn't help? Uh, what would you like someone to know who's from your community about this? You know, I do have some of those questions, but I really tried my best to make sure that the story is told as much the way they would like it to be told, because it's not my story. It's their story. Uh, and then if, if, if I, as a clinician, go through that interview and, and think through, you know what, this person is not really in a place yet where I think they're going to be 
um, benefited from being on Cambridge Sharing Your Story, they're, they're still processing it, they're still in that trauma, then I won't, I won't go any further. I'll just, you know, shred the paper notes I've taken and move on. Um, I only have gone forward, which is why I'm honestly part of the reason why we only have two of these, because it's, it's a really, um, I think, special group of folks who have experienced these concerns um, are, are on kind of the other side of them. You know, they're not in the middle of it because that's a place where you still want to go through your treatment. And, you know, that triangle also includes someone who's comfortable sharing their story on camera because we want people to be seen as someone who uh, they can see in, in, in this video and say, oh, that person's from my community. That person uh, looks like me. I, I feel more comfortable now knowing that, that there are folks from my community who have experienced this. So that those three you know, things that line up, that Venn diagram is kind of tricky to find, but I just want folks to know that if you do reach out and feel like you want to talk about this, understand that I always put uh, your well-being first when it comes to how we've done those interviews. I'm glad you shared that piece to it because I know that that will, that will definitely guide a person into knowing how to reach out to you and, and kind of your process. So thank you for sharing that. Something you and I have talked about in, in many times in the past is that you are a male advocating for maternal mental health. And I'm wondering if you'll just share why this is a passion of yours and, and, and maybe why you do the work that you do um, and have kind of got involved in this maternal mental health piece. I want to go back to when I was uh, a little boy, uh, when I was, um, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And at that time, my, my role model of, of everyone in my family, uh, or everyone that I saw and looked up to uh, when I was a boy, um, the person I held up as a model for, you know, this is who I want to be. This is the person that I really look up to was my grandmother. Uh, my dad's mom was as closest as, as I can imagine to a saint on earth. She had many, many, many foster children throughout her uh, life that she brought into their home uh, and cared for. Um, my dad actually uh, was adopted by her. And so this is a woman who biologically um, had five kids of her own, adopted one, would have adopted uh, another wasn't only because he desired not to be. She, you know, she asked him, "Would you like to be adopted?" And he said, "No." But you know, he's he's Uncle Edward, right? So my 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 dad uh, has um, these brothers and sisters that are a mix of uh, one's foster, one's uh, like him. Uh, he is adopted, and the rest are biological. So this is a woman who was uh, someone who made it her life to heal people in her professional and her home life. Uh, she was a nurse. On top of this, she worked often uh, at night uh, while my my grandpa was was home, uh, and she could go out and work. And they they do um, a swap. Uh, basically, he he come home from his work, and uh, she would go and do her work at St. Anthony Hospital as a nurse. And so, why was she so impactful to me? Well. I looked at how she treated people who came into her home. They had folks who would just come in off the street, uh, wander in the front door, and, and she would give them food and ask what they needed. Um, she was always baking, always making food for people, basically treated everyone the same, whether you were um, uh, from whatever background, rich, poor, 
uh, gay, straight, she did not care. She was going to treat everyone um, basically, you know, the golden the golden rule um, as as she wanted to be treated. Uh, and she helped. I don't even know how many people in her life. Uh, so she always, I always looked at her and thought, you know, man, I, I've got to do my best to honor her legacy. She she's just the most wonderful woman. Uh, and even now that she's gone, I still look up to her as is kind of the person I want to hold my my own self to. And so that's why I became a social worker. Um, I wanted to be someone I could say was, you know, it was their mission to help folks. Um, so that's kind of what brought me into this work. You know, I worked in my, my first years uh, in, of, of, as a social worker, I worked in child welfare and I worked at helping families become whole uh, whenever they needed help. And I always wanted to be uh, a clinical social worker. I wanted to be a therapist. That was always my goal. So I worked my way, uh, working full-time uh, to get my master's, uh, become licensed, become a clinician, and did um, in-home counseling for a while. Worked as a um, therapist at an uh, inpatient facility for children who were most often on the autism spectrum but um, had many different diagnoses there. Worked there for several years before I entered public health. And public health really uh, was not something I started doing, but grew to love uh, because it allows you to look at, well, how can we keep going upstream? You know, what is it that, rather than looking at the individual level, as a social worker, public health is a natural fit because we're always taught to look at the system around a person, not, not the person in isolation, but what support do they have? Do they have a partner that they can rely on? Do they have friends? Do they have a church community? Do they have uh, a community around them for support? Do they not? You know, as humans, we're we're a community um, animal. We are uh, an animal. Uh, one of the the ones that really relies on community the most. Uh, we're not meant to live in isolation. We're meant for community. And I think in 2022. It gets harder and harder to do that, I think, sometimes. Um, we've got all this technology, and I'm afraid in some cases, rather than bring us together, it's driven us further apart. So um, I say all that to say that uh, public health is a natural fit because it really works to, to see, you know, how can we bring people together and build those supports so that um, we can really be a community uh, and support each other. When I'm talking to a mom, I want her to know that there are women that she can talk to. I want her to be able to point her to supports uh, because I know it can be difficult for a woman to share with somebody who has never given birth. You know, I've supported somebody who's given birth four times. I've been right there next to her each time when, when she's wanted me to be. But, uh, but I've never given birth. I don't know what the experience is like. And I know that. And I know I cannot pretend to have that experience. So... Um, I'm always conscious to make sure that people know that I am aware of that, that I'm, I know uh, that I'm an advocate that may be a little bit untraditional in the sense that I'm, I'm not a, a female. I, I don't know what the experience is like. But I think one of the things that is a plus is I know that um, I also have the knowledge now, uh, five years into this role, that this is not something that is solely uh, an experience that women have. I know that men go through this at a considerable rate, you know, 10% of the population. Uh, and again, that's what's reported of men, uh, of dads 
have uh, postpartum depression as well. And so I will say, even though I'm, I'm very conscious to be able to, to tell moms, hey, I know I'm not, a, I'm not a woman, I don't know what that experience is like, and I can point you to women uh, who can bring you support. I do think there is, there is some uh, unique perspective I can bring uh, as a dad uh, to be able to say, um, you know, it's, it's not just moms, so that we highlight the fact that uh, hopefully um, we get more men to speak out about this as well. Uh, and acknowledge that this, again, it's not a them thing. It's an us thing. I know the, the, the PSI walk will be in June. So we will both be there and participating in that. And we would encourage anybody who would like to come out to support Postpartum Support International mm -hmm. um, to be able to increase their resources and their supports. And um, so that would be a great opportunity for the community to come and get involved in that. Yeah, and I, I will say... One of the things that I really want to underline is what exactly any funds that are raised. Um, for me, the walk is more about I want to help with the walk because I want to bring that awareness uh, and I want to reduce stigma. That's that's one of the main reasons why I want to, to advocate for that walk and, and participate in the walk. But of course, it is a fundraiser. And so I want to make sure people know that uh, one of the main things that that money is utilized for is, is kind of two main prongs. One is it's utilized to further scholarships for uh, providers who are in the BIPOC community. So that's uh, people who are uh, people of color, um, whether that's someone who's from the African-American community, uh, uh, the, the Latinx community, um, but basically folks who uh, are in that community, uh, indigenous, uh, black women, um, men, uh, most often women, are going to uh, look for, PSI has a specific organization, they have an arm of PSI that does scholarships for those providers. So some of that money looks to do scholarships for folks um, who want to be trained in these maternal mood disorders, uh, perinatal mood anxiety disorders. But the other piece of this money will also go toward uh, treatment. So they do scholarships for uh, treatment for uh, women, men who need that treatment and can't afford it. So just as an FYI, that's where I think a lot of that money will go. They've not, I think, I know, because it's on their uh, website. And for anyone interested in participating in one of the PSI walks, Oklahoma will actually host two walks on June 25th, one in Oklahoma City at Lake Hefner and the other one in Tulsa. We have linked information about both walks in our resources tied to this podcast. Well, James, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. You have done just a beautiful job laying out the maternal mental health perspective. And, and I really do appreciate your participation and your time and your knowledge level and your expertise. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. It was great. I'm, I'm glad to get the word out. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271-5072.